he has to buy that field. Now, I have taught this parable to children, and sometimes the children, they, they don't get the concept. It's kind of funny. They're like, well, what did he find? What did he find? Well, did he find gold? Well, he might have found a gold mine. Maybe he found diamonds. Maybe he found emeralds. I don't even know how you get emeralds, but he found a treasure, and then he went and bought it. And they're like, well, that's not fair because the owner should have got... No, 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 no. You're missing the point. <laughs> They sold everything so that he could go buy the field. And then he goes on to this next parable and he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. So says, okay, he has all these pearls and then he finds this great pearl, so he gets rid of all of these pearls, he goes and sells it and to, to have this. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever been a collector of things, but it's more about desire than the, tr the treasure. So the two parables are kind of the same, but they're not exactly the same because one says, this field has a great value and I'm going to do everything in my power to get this field. And then there's this desire to own this great pearl. Now, I don't know how many of you love pearls, but that's, that's for you to do. But I, I'm going to tell on my wife. My wife has an autographed football of Roger Staubach. Yeah, she does. She loves Roger Staubach. On our wedding night, she wore a Dallas Cowboy nightshirt. That's how much she was in love with Roger Staubach. She'd sell anything, and she does. She has his rookie card. She loves Roger Staubach. She'd sell me so that she could get Roger Staubach. But, and so that parable has to do with desire, that something that you've been pursuing your whole life. If, if you're into collectibles, you find that one thing that you really, really, really want, and, and you're going to find it. Now, how does this all come into play? Well, We've been in this journey of joy. We've been going through the book of Philippians verse by verse. And today we're going to find out that this is Paul's story. In fact, it's our story as well. Because if you remember, last time we talked about how people hold on to things to save themselves. Remember the monkey trap? You put your hand in, you grab it, and then you can't get out of the trap. And we learned from two weeks ago that he was hanging on to right rituals, right heritage, right family, right traditions, right sincerity, right denomination, right religion, right uh, rule keeping. And he thought that, uh, let's face it, Paul was a super Jew. I mean, if anybody had kept the law, it's going to be this guy. And then he finds a treasure. He's going to find a treasure, and he's going to pour out a little bit of his personal testimony to, in us in, in our text today. He finds the pearl of great price. And so our text is a little bit of his story, which, again, is really our story. It's the story of getting Jesus. In fact, if you notice on your bulletin, the, the, the title of this message is The Joy of Getting Jesus. See, last week, or the week before, it was Letting Go joy the joy of letting go but today is the joy of getting jesus now the hardest person to reach for christ is a person who is self-righteous and very religious because that's what paul was those people are the fault finders 
They're filled with a judgmental spirit, acting as if they're in competition, that somehow God grades on a curve, and I got to be better than you. I got to keep all the rules. I got to do more religious activities. As long as I'm better than you, then I'm above the curve, and I get to go to heaven. And Paul was in that mindset. What did we call that? Works righteousness or the theology of what? Shamu, right? We jump through the hoops, performance-oriented. But have you ever noticed this truth? Self-centered people are unhappy people. Have you ever noticed that? Self-centered people are unhappy people. See, being obsessed with Jesus is where real joy comes from. But when people are focused on their accomplishments and their religious activities, they aren't focused on Jesus. Did you know that focusing on rules and rule-keeping and, and that critical spirit and that self-righteousness is an indirect way of focusing on yourself. It's really a self-centered way of living. And that's why self-centered or self-righteous people have no joy. Real joy is about knowing who? Jesus. It really is. It's not about what you've done for him. It's about knowing him. So let's look at our text. So open your Bibles to Philippians. Let me get there myself. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to pick it up at verse 8. We're, we'll take a, a verse by verse a, a little bit today. We won't read the whole passage uh, at once. We'll do a, a little bit at, at a time. Let's begin at verse 8, chapter 3 of Philippians. It says, indeed, he's, it says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value or the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's interesting, this word loss, it can also be translated fine, like a fine, like you, you got a fine because you did something wrong. It can be translated a penalty. It can be translated harm. It could be uh, translated even a disadvantage. So Paul isn't just saying, hey, I had a thousand bucks and I went and bought this field and now I'm the owner of a gold mine. He's saying this word zemia has this nuance of a disadvantage. Uh, kind of like, oh, the, the Cowboys lost their quarterback. Sorry, they lost their quarterback. Oh, it's a disappointment. It's not just a... a, a a ledger deal it is a disappointment and so what he is saying is all my works all my self-righteousness he was saying this was a disadvantage he counts it as disadvantage he counts it as a penalty he counts it as a loss puts a different spin on it when you understand the fuller meaning of the word why because it was keeping him from christ Working for your salvation blinds you to grace. Did you get that? If you're in this mindset of trying to work for God's approval, work for God's love, work for all that, it blinds you to his gift of grace. And now you can start to see the theology of Shamu jumping through the hoops of works righteousness. It's a huge disadvantage. And then he says he counts it as rubbish. 
It's a funny word. It's called skubalan. And it means refuge. It means scraps. It actually means dung. But the word, the way it should have been translated is excrement. That is powerful language for Paul to say that I count all of this as doo-doo. That's what he's saying. Counting it all as doo-doo. So, what are the things that we get when we come to Christ? He said, I count all this as loss. And then go back to the text. What does it say? Indeed, I count everything as doo-doo or loss uh, because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's the very first fill in the blank. You get to know Jesus. Paul tells us that knowing, knowing Jesus is the greatest thing in the world. And the word know doesn't refer to intellectually knowing about Jesus like we're at some posh restaurant and we know things. You know, it isn't that kind of know. It means to know him experimentally, experientially. You can use it both ways. To know him personally. To have a personal experience, a personal relationship with the living God. To know by personal involvement. Not facts and figures and stats, but having that personal relationship with Christ. Now, I know that during the 60s and 70s, some of you were alive, some of you weren't. But transcendence meditation gave a bad word to the word transcendent. But I'm going to use it here because it is appropriate. Because having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is a transcendent Experience It moves you just from the physical realm into the spiritual realm. You know, we can sing a song and that's physical. But when we worship, yes, we continue to sing the song physically, but we transcend into the throne of God. We are seated in the heavenlies according to Scripture that we have been raised again with Christ. We, we live in a different realm than the rest of the world who is not spiritually alive. To know also involves love. To know involves love. You, you might have si seen Seinfeld at one point in time, but there's an episode where they say yada, yada, yada. Do you remember that episode? And the word yada is Hebrew, and it means to know, to know, to know. Or, okay, and it can be used in a sexual reference, or it could be mean, meaning, yeah, I know what you mean, I know what you mean, I know what you mean. You know, yada, yada, yada. But... Really, the word to know, Adam, yada, Eve, and she became pregnant. Biblically, the word know means that it is an intimate relationship, very intimate relationship. And sex is very intimate. It's beautiful. It's full of disclosure because two people are sharing their hearts together. Now, the world... They're only into the physical part, right? Everywhere you turn, it's sex, 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 and more sex, right? They don't understand the word to know because that's not the biblical understanding. Sex is physical, but there is a transcendent part of when two people know one another. They come together, and it is emotional, but it's spiritual as well. To know Christ is a spiritual union then. 
It's intimate. It's supernatural. Remember Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives what? In me. It doesn't say Christ lives with you. Tammy lives with me. Eloise lives with Lawrence. We, but Jesus lives in you. He lives in, that's more intimate. And it's just not a physical thing. It is a spiritual thing. That's why it's transcendent. It, it, it lifts us out of this world into a, a realm that we want to grab onto. This union is deep, like a marriage can be. Remember when you've been married so long you can start completing each other's thoughts? Charles, you probably do that for Stella. And Stella, I know you do that for Charles. Because how long have you guys been married? Fifty-six, right? Sixty. Oh, my stars. You have the right to complete each other's thoughts, right? But you know what's also weird about marriages that have been together for a long time? Did you ever notice you look at their, their wedding photo and they, they just look like two opposites and then 50 years later they look like brother and sister? You ever notice that? That even through the ages the physical begins to morph. That is intimacy. That is to know another person. Paul in Ephesians speaks of this intertwining this almost mystical union of a believer in Christ. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast. That means cling. That means grab. And the two shall become what? One flesh. And then he goes on and he says something really trippy. He says this, this mystery. So he says, it's a mystery how we can have this union. He said, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So when you let go of whatever you're hanging on to get you in good favor with God and you start to grab on to grace and you start to grab on and you know Jesus, it's this intimate personal relationship with the Creator God. And because we are made in His image, we then have the capacity to know Him, to relate to Him. To realize his beauty, to see his beauty, to enter into his beauty. Really knowing Christ is the greatest and most joyful thing in the world. He's, he's the treasure in the field. He's the pearl of great price. You see, if, if we only know about Jesus, we're never going to get to that, that place of really knowing him. I mean, it's, it's one thing to drink milk. It's a completely different thing to milk the cow. Are you with me on that? It, it's one thing to listen to music. It's another thing to make music. It's one thing to intellectually know about Jesus. And it is a completely different thing to have an intimate, personal relationship with him. And he invites you to know him. That's the thing that Paul said, I found this treasure. I found this pearl. I'm, I'm ditching all of this rubbish, this disadvantage, and I am running headlong into this treasure of knowing Christ. Now let's go back to the text. Verse 9. I'll read verse 8 again. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them in rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here's the fill in the blank. Not only do you get to know Jesus, you get Jesus' righteousness. That's what the text said. Now, I'm going to talk to, to you women out there. I'll talk to you men as well. But do you ever feel special, pretty, handsome when you dress up? You find an outfit, and guys don't wear outfit. We just wear clothes. I just want to put that on the, on the table. Because my wife and I, we have a big argument. I don't wear outfits. I wear clothes. She wears outfits. But you put on some clothing, and you look at the mirror, and you just go, wow, I look good. I look handsome. You ever get uh, ready to go to a wedding, and you, you get all dressed up? You maybe even get in a tux, and you just go, wow, I look good. Why do little girls like to play dress-up? They feel special, don't they? They feel beautiful. They like to twirl in their dresses. And they want to say, look, world, look at me. Daddy, aren't I pretty? Daddy, aren't I beautiful? Father, aren't I, I gorgeous? Paul had tried to dress up in righteous self-righteousness and he came to the conclusion that all his dressing up was just filthy rags. That's what he, he finally started to understand. He finally figured it out once he discovered Jesus that all his little accomplishments, all of his right family, right traditions, right religion, right rule-keeping, all was ugly, ugly, filthy garments and when he figured that out he started to let go of all those trophies that he 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 claimed remember he let them go he let go of those trophies do you remember the the old hymn the old rugged cross on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame and I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. And then the chorus goes on, So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. And I'm going to cling to the treasure, the old rugged cross, and I'm going to forget all of my religiosity all my self-accomplishments, all the things that I thought made me so morally good and cling to the grace and mercy of Jesus. And he says, man, when you get Jesus, you get to know him, but you also get his righteousness. That's why you're not, you don't have to be afraid that if you were to die tonight that you would stand before God and, and not have the excuse as to what you did last week. His righteousness covers you. He dresses you up and then he says, twirl for me. Your daddy, your father wants to see you twirl because you're beautiful, because I have clothed you in Jesus' righteousness. So Paul laid down all of his accomplishments. He gained righteousness by letting go of his self-righteousness. It's, it's addition by subtraction. Letting The joy of letting all that go. Because there's a constant pressure to perform, to measure up, to jump through hoops after hoop after hoop. 
And the joy of twirling before your father in the dress that he has given you is joy. Well, let's go back to the text. So we've got two things that we've seen so far. Let's look at verse 10. He says, and it's just the first half of verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Here's the third fill in the blank. You get the, what I would call resurrection power. Or you, would, you can take the words out of the text. You get the power of his resurrection. See, there's no power in keeping rules, a list of do's and don'ts. There's no power over temptation. There's no power over the flesh. The only power, the only transforming power that there is, and that word, you've heard it said a thousand times, is the word dunamas. It means dynamite. It's powerful. The resurrection is power. What kind of power? Enough power to raise a dead man. Jesus laid down his life and then he picked it back up. Now that's That's the power to change history. That's the power to change your history. That's the power to change your family history. It has the power to change your marriage. It has the power to change your relationships. The surfacey ones and the ones that are far away. It has the power to change your purpose. It has the power to change your identity. It has the power to change your destiny. It is power to transform you. If I'll just say it this way. From a worm to a butterfly. That's the power. It's resurrection power. Oh, man. Power to mature. Power to grow. Power to serve. Power to become God's dream for you. Isn't that funny? God's, you have access to God's power to become the man or woman that He has dreamt you to be. And He doesn't do bad dreams. He only does good dreams. Let's go back to the text, the last half of verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share, that word share is the famous word koinonia. It means fellowship, it means partnership, it means companionship. He says that may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. So here's the fill in the blank. You get Jesus' companionship and suffering. One of the things that you get in what you get in Christ is you have someone to have fellowship when you're suffering. A real person's always with you. You're never alone. Somebody to fellowship when you're suffering. And some of you might not have had to suffer much in this life. And some of you have suffered more than your fair share, if you want to call it that way. There's suffering. And who do you go to when you're suffering? Suffering is a part of life. And I don't want to do it alone. But not only that, Jesus is that somebody that has suffered all things more than you have ever suffered. Any suffering that you've ever known, Jesus has already eclipsed it. And far beyond any suffering, but he is there in his companionship, his fellowship, his koinonia with you. Where do you go to when you get, want real comfort? I know what happens when I have a bad day at work. I've said this before. What do I want to do? I want to go out to eat. I want comfort food, right? I want to go do something that appeals to my flesh because I'm seeking comfort instead of seeking the one who has suffered just like I have. 
So you go to Jesus. Now, as much as Tammy loves me, as much as she has given me sympathy this week, she does not know what it's like to have your tooth drilled on have it in a root canal and the root canal go south and a hole get punctured into your tooth. Um, but Jesus, he might not have had tooth pain, but he understands pain. He understands the nerve, and I don't know what it is, the nerve that goes directly to that spot in your brain that says, oh man, I cannot handle this. You've been, some of you have been to that pain level. Now as much as she loves me, we're not, she's not a companion with me in this suffering. I love her. She gives me sympathy. And she, it's kind of, let's flip it. It would be my, like me saying, I know exactly what it's like to give birth. Do, do I have any idea what it's like to give birth? No, I don't know. So I can't be a companion and in fellowship with Tammy with her and her suffering through childbirth. But Jesus has been, he knows that kind of pain. Now sometimes we suffer because of our own stupidity. Let me say that again. Sometimes we suffer because of our own stupidity. Let me say it this way, sin. Sometimes we bring suffering into our life because of sin. We make bad decisions as a result of our sinful behavior and it causes this domino effect and now we are up to our eyeballs in suffering. But sometimes we suffer because God is allowing it for His reasons and purposes. Like Job, we don't know what's going on in the spiritual realm, do we? But like Job, we still trust Him in spite of our suffering. Because we're not in it alone. There's a bond built when you go through the fire together with someone. It's different. Let's say we all had enough money and we could all go to the Bahamas together. Would that be fun? Somebody say yes. Yes. Let's all go to the Bahamas Somebody's paying for it. We're all going. Are we going to kind of get closer to one another because we're doing vacation together? Okay, that's kind of a, a nice little bond. Do you know what would happen if your entire town burned down because of a fire like it did in Paradise, California? Do you know when you go through a fire with someone and you're sharing that same suffering, that same experience, you become a bond of brothers, don't you? You become a family that is inseparable because your hearts are knit together through suffering. And Jesus says, one of, well, Paul says, one of the, the, the great treasure is, oh, I get to know Jesus. I get his righteousness. I get his powerful resurrection power working in me. And I get to share in his sufferings. It knits our hearts together. This joyous treasure, yeah, you get to know Jesus, his righteousness, his resurrection power. But let's go on to the last. Let's pick it up and we'll finish it out. Verse 11. That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You're going to say, why is this fill in the blank written this way? Let's go to the next slide. You get to spiritually live now. And you're like, Rob, how do you get that out of that? 
that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Isn't he talking about the, resu the resurrection from the dead? Ah, this word's unique. It's the only one in Scripture. The word resurrection is mentioned 42 times in Scripture, but this has a prefix in front of it. It makes it a completely different meaning what he's actually saying. It's the word, it's a prefix out or from. Literally then, by any means possible, I may attain the out-resurrection or the out-rising from the dead. Vine's Expository Dictionary, which is an expository dictionary of biblical words, says, this isn't referring to the physical, the physical resurrection that we're all going to get to participate in, but it's in regards to the present life your present life of identifying with Christ. So what Paul is saying, I get to live now spiritually, even if I walk around spiritually dead people. Are you spiritually seated in the heavenlies right now? Do, have, have you risen above dysfunction? Remember, the word resurrection means to rise. It's simply to rise. And he says to rise out from the dead. But he's talking spiritually. Have you risen above being petty? Have you risen above being ugly? How many of you have been ugly this past week? One person, two person, three person. Okay, some of you were ugly this week. He says with Christ we have the power to rise above that now. We have the power to rise above stinking thinking. We have the power to, to rise above a critical spirit. We have the, the power to rise above unforgiveness that so bottle chokes us. We have the power to rise above doubt. He says, I'm pressing on for this out-ek. That's what it was, E-X or E-K. This out-rising from the dead in which I live right now. We live in a world we get to rise above our world. Amen? I hope you're rising above our, our nation right now and all of its political correctness and incorrectness and all the division that's going on. I hope you're rising above it. Why? Because you have the power of Christ in you that allows you to rise above it. To get out of this messy world. Such a wonderful and wondrous treasure. We get to to rise above the spiritually dead world. When you die to self, you get to rise above, transcend from being just in the physical world, to, but to become spiritually woke. Can I be cool and say that? Be spiritually alive? Be spiritually woke? If, I don't even know if I'm using that word right. So, I'll, Anyways, you know, Adam and Eve walked in the coolness of the garden had fellowship with the Lord? You get to do that now. You don't have to wait to go to heaven in order to have this intimate, personal relationship with Christ. Oh, what joy of getting Christ. Let go of the things of this world that keep you from rising above. John says it this way in 1 John. Because they're anchors, they're tethers, they're dead weight. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, 
and the pride of life are the things that keep you mired into this realm instead of spiritually alive. Joy of getting Jesus. You get to know him in this intimate relationship. You get Jesus' righteousness. You're clean and beautiful. You get resurrection power. You are being transformed. You get Jesus' fellowship and, and suffering. You're not alone. And you get to rise above this world. And you get to really live. That's what you get when you let go of the monkey trap and leave your trophies and your self-righteousness and all the things that you were counting on to be graded on a curve by God and just come humbly before Him and pray, I want to know you. Let me pray. Father God.